This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. There was a, an interesting uh, phrase that was ush- uh, literally spoken a couple months ago by a person on their deathbed. And for those that grew up with the Partridge family, you remember David Cassidy. David Cassidy on his deathbed with his, his daughter in particular beside him and his family beside him, but his daughter right beside his, his head on the left-hand side, it literally recorded his last words. And these were the last four words that he uttered. He said, so much wasted time. And he died. Last words are powerful. We actually spoke on, on Good Friday about Jesus' last song. And, and as much as I don't want to focus as much on the cross today as I do on the, the empty tomb, I really felt uh, leading up to today that Jesus' last words actually painted the perfect picture of his heart for humanity after the empty tomb. And so I'm going to just share his last statements, and then I'm going to kind of bring it all together at the end and give some perspective for us today. Um, But I can honestly say this this morning. I've grown up in church most of my life, and every Easter Sunday, you get three different looks from people in the crowd, okay? You get the Friday look, which is people still in pain and agony and suffering over what Jesus went through. You get the Saturday look where they're like deer caught in a headlight look because they don't know Sunday's coming, but they still think they're still close enough to Friday that they feel the pain of it. So they just have this deer caught in a headlight look. And then you got the Sunday believers. (laughs) Guys, do you know what today's all about? It's awesome! And can I say this morning um, that if you have a Friday look, I'm praying that by the end of this morning you look a little bit more like Sunday. Maybe not like that. If you came with a Saturday look, my hope in prayer today is that you hook in more with Sunday than you do with Friday. And if you come today and and you are looking and acting and talking just like I did, then we are going to release you to go win the entire city for Christ by the end of today. So you have to, don't worry about the dinner, don't worry about turkey, don't worry about chicken, don't just go out. And just tell everyone about Jesus, because I have a feeling that our size will be double, triple, quadrupled next week because of those people. So, if depending on where you are, I, wanna, I want you to challenge yourself this morning and say, I'm going to try to make the adjustment. We've had five children, as you know, and it's amazing the, the look on, um, you know, on mom's faces the moment that they have that baby. And no matter how hard and how much pain and how many issues had happened in that birth, uh, joy overcomes them the moment they can hold that little baby in their arms. And I have news for you this morning. The joy that we can feel as a result of that empty tomb far supersedes anything you can ever feel in the natural. There's a joy that is unspeakable Absolutely beyond definition. It's beyond reason. It's beyond scope. And that's what Jesus wants you to understand and feel this morning. Marlena in the pre-service prayer just spoke and prayed into this so beautifully about joy. And it really struck a chord in me because I thought to myself, that's exactly what this is all about. So what I'm going to share with you this morning are the seven things Jesus said on the cross, but in anticipation of the entire plan of God for your life. Are you ready this morning? 
All right, so famous last words. Number one, Jesus offers forgiveness. How many need that today? Don't put up your hand. Okay, Luke 23, 34. It says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You have to understand the context here. Jesus came as a Messiah to save them. Jesus came as the Savior. They were looking for an earthly king. He came as a heavenly king. But you have to understand here, Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, because he recognized their ignorance. He recognized the fact that they did not see him as Messiah. As a matter of fact, he didn't, they didn't see him in any way uh, needed for their life. They just saw a guy who was claiming something crazy, hanging on a cross, dying a painful death, but they didn't see anything beyond that. Then Jesus looked down in the same group of people. He saw Pharisees that wanted nothing more than to get rid of this guy, filled with hatred. They saw literally people that were swarming around and and a group coming around the cross that had just minutes earlier been crying out, crucify him. Yet his first words on that cross, the first thought that Jesus wanted to get across was here, I'm offering forgiveness. I want you to just put yourself in the picture of what was going on that day. The disciples could easily look at the Pharisees and say, you guys have got serious problems. The Jews could look at the Romans and say, you're far worse. But Jesus looked at all of them and said, you need my forgiveness. The same people that thought they were the best of the bunch there deserted him, denied him, and betrayed him. And he offered forgiveness. Can I tell you some very simple thought that I've learned in my life? Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. How many know sometimes you forgive by choice and the feelings still don't come? Sometimes they do. I want you to understand that at the forefront of Jesus' heart while he was on that cross was forgiveness. Forgiveness. Wiping the slate clean. Amen? Literally, forgiveness in in the Greek, it literally means to wipe the slate clean, to cancel a debt, to pardon. How many know that if you had a debt you could never repay and someone came up and just stamped it clean? That's a pretty good day. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He's saying, I offer forgiveness. Matthew 26, verse 28, it says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. How many in this room have ever made a mistake? Okay, not everyone's putting up their hand. All right. Okay, I'm taking notes. Get Alan Bellingham. (laughs) You know what's amazing about forgiveness? It levels the playing field. It levels the playing field. In Jesus' eyes, no matter what you did, no matter it was the thief on the cross or the person below, like John the Beloved, who was weeping over his best friend dying, whether it was the criminal, whether it was the person who murdered him, or whether it was the Sanhedrin who literally... Uh, declared uh, him rejected from the Israel nation. It didn't matter. Forgiveness is a forgiveness for sin. And as we know, there's no ranking system for sin. Now, we know there's greater consequences than some sins, right? But sin is sin. He levels the playing field. The forgiveness was for them who followed him, and it was for them who didn't follow him yet. (laughs) That was the rule of God. The forgiveness is the same thing being offered for us today. 
for those who don't believe, who maybe one day will believe, but it's offered from Jesus. And I love Jesus' reaction on the cross. It was priceless. He doesn't react in anger. He doesn't react or he doesn't judge. He loves. His heart's filled with compassion. That's his heart. He said many days earlier, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who use you or despite you or mistreat you. And that heart was on display on the cross. He lived those words in that moment. That was the heart of God. Second famous word was Jesus offering assurance. He said in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, it says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. You have to understand a couple of things in this moment. Um, We have to understand who Jesus was. He was the Messiah. He was God's son. He had claimed to be uh, from the royal line of David, of King David. Um, He was literally innocent. And interestingly enough, the, the, the criminal on the one side mocked Jesus, but the criminal on the other side literally said, listen, we deserve to be up here. We deserve the punishment of our sin. This man doesn't. He's innocent. How many have ever had a situation where you're wrongfully blamed for something you know you didn't do? Right? I don't know about you, it's not the greatest feeling in the world. When you've done something wrong and someone blames you, even though you don't like it, you know deep down it's true. But Jesus was in a situation where he was being declared something that he never was. And you have to understand today, in his innocence, he offered assurance. Amen? In his innocence, he offered assurance. I love this. Assurance that God, despite what you've just done, Loves you. Think about this for a second. And let's be honest for a second. How many are parents? Okay. How many know that love's not on the table for discussion, but sometimes you'd like to take it off the table? You know what I'm saying? Sometimes your children will do something that will absolutely exasperate you, and you feel like taking love off the table. I have news for you. Jesus, in his infinite compassion, has never and will never take his love off the table of discussion for your life. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't even matter that if you've just ignored him or put him off to the side or made him be second, third, fourth, or fifth choice in your life. It doesn't matter. Jesus loves you. He's compelled with compassion for your very life this morning. That's his heart. Amen? The next thing he said, John chapter 19, verse 26 to 27, he said, Dear woman, here is your son. Here is your mother. Jesus offers care. In the most painful moment of his earthly existence, he looks to take care of that which is most valuable to him. His mom. Think about this. If he's in his most critical moments of his physical existence and he's thinking compassionately towards those that don't know him or those that do. How much more? The focus of God on you right now as he's sitting at the right hand of the Father looking down at your situation. He knows every detail. He knows everything that's ever been said about your life. He knows everything that's being said against your life. He knows where you've come. He knows where you're going. He knows the situation that's six months ahead, and he knows the situation you've just come through. 
He knows how awkward you feel. He knows when you feel comfort and joy. He knows exactly what you are feeling right now. And he comes today. He comes and he offers care. The assurance of care. Because that is his heart for you this morning. Interestingly enough, Mary, his mother, was there at the very first miracle, the miracle of the wedding at Cana. And he was at the foot, she was at the foot of the cross at Calvary. From Cana to Calvary, she saw every moment. She experienced every heartbreak and every excitement and every celebration and every solemn moment of his life. Jesus looked down. says, I want to entrust you and the care of your life to someone, the only one of the entire clan of disciples that was there to see Jesus die. John, take care of what's most precious to me. You have to understand today, you are precious to God. You are precious to God. You say, I don't even think he gives a, you know, he doesn't even think about me. Trust me, he thinks about you all the time. You know, one of the things that I'm still trying to get my, my head wrapped around is the father heart of God, and I'm still trying to figure it out. I wish I could say I've arrived. I don't think I have. I think there's just more and more elements of the revelation of the father heart of God. But for God so loved that he gave. He cares this morning. He cares. Fourth one is this. Jesus understands rejection. Matthew 27, verse 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have to understand in this moment the Jewish nation rejected him. The Sanhedrin rejected him. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. The soldiers mocked him. The people that he came to save, they didn't want anything to do with him. And then there was a moment that happened at the end of his life on the cross that most of us don't talk about. Because some of us theologically can't completely understand it. But for the first time in all eternity, it says that the father had to look away and reject the son. For the first time in Jesus' life, he had separation anxiety. He can relate to rejection. You say, you don't understand what I've been through. It's okay, he does. So you have a story. It's okay, so does he. You know what he wants this morning? He just wants you to swap stories. That's all he wants. Have the courage this morning to swap your story with his. What happens if I feel the same way after? It's okay. God has a way of figuring out your story better than you ever could. Trust him with your story this morning. Amen? Amen. Many of you need his acceptance today. Can I, can I give you three easy answers for hard times that aren't true necessarily? But these are three that we do as humans. Are you ready for this one? Three answers, three reasons, three answers for hard times that we often come up with because we think it's, it, it, it's comforting somehow. Number one, it's your fault. Problem with it's your fault, yes, there's times where we make mistakes and we've got to deal with it, but the moment with it's your fault is then we oftentimes hide away from the very love and compassion of Christ because we live in the condemnation of what we've done wrong. Second thing is this, it's Satan's fault. How many know that he is he's strategic and he knows what he's doing, but that doesn't mean he's everywhere. He's limited to one spot. 
Does he have henchmen? Yes. Can he do things? Yes. Can he discourage? Yes. But sometimes our easy way out is, oh, well, you know, it's the devil. I've been saying that for a long time with the Leafs. But you know what? (laughs) Jesus is turning around every situation. He's making all things new. Come on! For those that love the Leafs, awesome. (laughs) Okay. And the third one is this. It's God's will. It must be God's will. It has to be God's will that I'm going through this. The problem with that thought is we often say it's God's will when we actually don't understand. Number two, we'll often say God's will when it's actually Satan doing something. And so we have to understand that those are the three default modes that we often have in our life. It's our fault, it's Satan's fault, it's God's fault, it must be God's will. And what God simply wants you to do this morning is to have the courage to take your story to him and let him rewrite it. I don't know about you, I remember growing up, and I can't even remember what they're called now, so some of you guys who will remember this can help me out with it, because I could not remember the name of it for the life of me. Remember when you got those books, and you started on a certain page, and then you had to switch to page 38, and then you'd read a couple of pages, and at the end of that, you'd have a decision to make. You could either go to page 52 or page 17. And so your storybook would change depending on which page you would go to. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay. What was that called? Thank you. That's, I was like, oh, what is this thing called? Choose your own adventure book. So literally, you choose your own adventure. Can I say this morning, have the courage to let God choose your adventure. But you have to give him your book. He says, oh, but you don't know what's in my book. He already knows. That's what's crazy about God. He already knows what's in the book. Just give him your book this morning. Let him choose an adventure for you that you couldn't have come up with even if you tried. Amen? Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I love this. It says, for we know in part... Verse 12, it says, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, as even as I am fully known by God. Can I tell you the father's part of this story? (laughs) Here's the father's part of the story. The father rejected Jesus because he became sin for us. He took your place. Past, present, and future sins. He took your place. Something you did three years ago, something you did yesterday, and something you're going to do three years from now. He took your place. Because God's a holy God, he had to look away. Because for the first moment in all of history, Jesus, divine son of God, took upon himself the sins of the world. There's a description in Psalm 22 and there's a description in Isaiah 52 that says that Jesus was literally unrecognizable. They could not even tell who he was because that's how badly he was beaten. That's how badly he was scourged. Unrecognizable. We've often talked about the physical ailment, but you know what I honestly believe, and I'm not going to write a book on this anytime soon, but I honestly believe that part of that was the weight of the sin of the world on him. How many have ever seen someone carrying stress and their countenance changes? Jesus had all sin, past, present, and future, weighing him down. 
unrecognizable. He become unrecognizable so that you could become recognizable to the Father again. That's his heart. Amen? The Son was rejected so that you could be accepted. That's a divine exchange. That's a good idea. I don't know about you, but if someone came up to you and said, hey, I want, you know, your old beat-up teddy bear from 1963, and I'm willing to give you the entire world if you just give me the teddy bear. Now, for some three-year-olds, that's a hard exchange. I'm telling you right now. But the exchange is unbelievable. Jesus became sin so that you didn't have to be on that cross. Jesus became sin so that you didn't have to live in discouragement and destruction and, and, and discontent the rest of your life. Jesus became your sacrifice. He became your substitute. Fifth one is this. Jesus understands real need. John 19, 28, he says, I'm thirsty. Sometimes we have this, you know, if I can be honest this morning, sometimes in church life we have a very easy time relating to Jesus because he lived a human life. And not because from, the, not theologians that are literally uh, hammering that point home, but natural historians that were not Christians, that were not believers, have got books upon books of the proof that Jesus existed 2,000 years ago. Okay? We relate to Jesus because he was in the flesh. We struggle to relate to God the Father because we in, understand him from the Old Testament. We really struggle to understand the things of the Spirit because we don't get which way the wind blows and we don't understand the things of the Spirit. Right? It's not tangible enough for us. We want something tangible, something we can hold on to, something we can believe. This is why Jesus is easier. But you have to understand this morning, Jesus understood real need so that you could relate to his story. He says, I feel rejected. Oh, he can relate. Oh, I feel like I'm suffering. Oh, yeah, he can relate. Oh, my best friend unfriended me on Facebook. Well, trust me, he had a lot of that going on. There was a lot of unfriending in John chapter 6 when he says, hey, boys, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And many, followed, many left him, it said that day. Many unfollowed him that day. Okay? He understands. He understands not having all of your bills paid because he had to live and put his head on a rock every single night. Huh. He understands. He knows what you've been through. And he wants you this morning to hear his heart. The sixth thing he said was literally in a completion of his plan of redemption from the beginning of the world. He says, it is finished. Not it's going to be, not it's sort of finished, not it's mostly finished, it's finished. Why? Because the work of the cross and the empty tomb that we celebrate this morning is complete and finished. In other words, every time you mess up, he doesn't have to go back to the cross. Sandra and I have often joked about, well, not joked, but we've, we have fun because for those that have never been around Impact for any length of time know that Sandra defaults to animal noises in her messages. And um, it's, it's just wonderful. We've seen every animal noise known to man come, exactly, come out on Sunday mornings. And so we've often said, put, your, put your, you know, yourself in the story of Fluffy the sheep in the Old Testament for a second. This perfect little lamb. Perfect little lamb. You know, cute little white lamb doing what, honey? Yeah, just like that. Just like that. 
cute little Fluffy. And they bring Fluffy, and he's going on a little journey one morning. Fluffy doesn't know where he's going. But Fluffy loves to be with his caretaker. So he's like, hey, where are we going? We're going for a road trip. This is awesome. I love road trips. And then he sees this big, giant building. He's like, finally, they're going to recognize my awesomeness as a lamb. It's about time. So he's walking up. You know, he's just walking up all excited. And he gets up there, and then he sees a pool of blood. And he goes, I said, what's up? And then he's like, Lord, is this a dream? Lord, I think this is where Uncle Max went last week, and he didn't come back. Aren't you grateful that every time you sin, you don't have to take your cat out in the back 40? Or, or your dog to the back 40. Or your goldfish, or your guinea pig, or your, you know, fill in the blank. I have just absolutely divided our church between cat lovers. I've divided our church between those who love cats and those who love dogs. And, well, I mean, we all know that cats are the best. But anyhow, we're just going to move on. We all know. I think it's pretty obvious. The fact that you don't have to be forced to walk outside in February at 5.45 in the morning is nothing short of miraculous. That's why I love cats. Love it. But you have to understand this morning, it's finished. It's complete. He doesn't have to go back to the cross. He doesn't have to go back and give his life up for you again. He's already done it. So here's what we need to do. We have to stop acting like he's still there. We have to stop putting our Friday face on. The church that we came from, Pastor Frank used to say this famous line, and I loved it. And he says, you know what, guys? Sometimes you need to let your face know that it's saved. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's good. I like that. But it is finished. It's paid in full. Think about this in your own life. How many have ever been indecisive about anything you're going through in your life? Okay? How many know that indecision is a struggle for some of us? Okay? But when you come to a final decision, a final conclusion about a particular matter, it motivates you to endure the short-term pain for the long-term gain. It diminishes these negative influences in your life because until the moment you've made a decision, you're always in this place of influence. You can get tugged and pulled in a thousand different directions. How do I know? The moment you haven't made up your mind, the enemy will make sure that he surrounds you with people who will speak to the negative side of that decision. And unfortunately, there's usually ten for every one believer. The moment you make a decision, it declares who's number one. It declares who's number one. No, I've made up my mind. This is what we're doing. We experienced this when we moved here 10 years ago. We made up our decision two years before we moved. Kingston was the place. And we're coming to Kingston no matter what. Kingston's our city. Kingston's our city. And then you had people in a matter of this uh, leading up to that final decision. When we were talking about Kingston, you know what we were told? We were told, you don't want to go to Kingston. Like, are you crazy? It's the graveyard for pastors. And I looked at it and I went, oh, thank you, Jesus, that there's an empty tomb, and so we can see empty tombs there too. You don't want to go there. 
I go, why not? It's going to be hard. And you know what my response is? That means it's special. And I'm drawn to special. You know, I look at my kids, and, and I know that one of our children we typically have a little bit more of a struggle with, but every time I look at her, you know what I think? There's something special here. And you know what we've landed in the last couple of weeks on our journey with her? She's fearless. And we're seeing the negatives of that right now. But if we pour into her life, there isn't anything she's going to say no to God on. Go around the world, sure. Go pray for that person, sure. There's no fear in her life whatsoever, at all, ever, every day. Even when she's on things that are really high up. And I get really nervous. But she never falls. Make up your mind today to make Jesus number one. Because the moment he becomes number one, he has the ability to rewrite your story. Let him rewrite your story today. Amen? And he finished this whole process. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He willingly gave himself up into his father's trust. What's he asking us today? Willingly give yourself to the father's care. Number two, he showed the perfect process of how to get your life right. It's in the Father's hands. It's in the Father's hands. The call is for the same for us today. What are you going to do with Jesus? You know what's incredible is he didn't stop there. In a lot of ways, those weren't his famous last words because after he rose again, he came. And in Matthew chapter 28, I just want to make reference of a couple of things. It's not on the screen, but I just want you to listen to me. When they saw the risen Lord, his first words out of his mouth was rejoice. Everything's going to be okay. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're feeling like, no, you don't understand. Everything has not been okay. And it doesn't feel like it's going to be okay. But he says to you, rejoice. Everything's going to be okay. I got your back. Second thing he says is do not be afraid. Rejoice. Do not be afraid. And then the third thing is, Go and tell. Rejoice. Do not be afraid. Go and tell. And he ends it off by saying, I'm going to be with you till the end of the age. I'm not going anywhere. But it's up to us today to do something with him. We already know he's not going anywhere. But what are we doing with Jesus today? Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.